Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and sexy fuddy-duddy Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar and stodgy taxidermist Noelle LaCroix. And we're here today to talk about The Dark Age. Ooh, the eighth episode of season two. <laughs> yeah. The Dark Age aired on November 10th, 1997. and was written by Dean Batali and Rob Desotel and directed by Bruce Seth Green. A warning before we begin. Between us, we've watched Buffy roughly 11 skillion times, and we're going to talk about each individual episode in the context of the entire series. So if spoilers are to you as marked up dog-eared books are to Giles, just watch all seven seasons real quick, and we'll be here when you're done. All right, let's go on patrol. In the Dark Age, Giles and Jenny are finally going to have a nice weekend, naked and unafraid. But then Giles' old school chums come back to town and everything goes sideways. The first of what will be many indications that the universe does not want Rupert Giles to have sex. Which is a very wrong thing. When the dead body of a man is found with Giles' information in his pocket, the cops bring him in to identify the body. Do you know him? Yes. I mean, I did. His name's Philip Henry. He's a friend of mine in London. I haven't spoken to him in 20 years. Buffy goes to foil a blood bag heist, but Giles doesn't show up. And that's weird because Giles always shows up. Angel pops in to help out and she asks him to take care of things for her. She goes to Giles' house and finds him disheveled and freaked out. He shuts the door in her face and calls England to discover that another one of his old friends is dead. He crosses her name off a list that has only two names left on it, Ethan Rains of the Halloween Chaos and his own. He rolls up his sleeves, revealing a strange symbol tattoo on his arm and looks into the mirror. So, you're back. At the morgue, his old buddy Philip wakes up as a zombie and breaks out of his drawer, attacking a coroner. At a Saturday school session, Buffy goes to Jenny and tells her that she's worried about Giles. Cordelia mentions that the police were in the library questioning Giles about a homicide, and Buffy hurries to the library to call him, but is distracted by Ethan Rain trying to kill her by turning a shelf of books over on her. She grabs him and pulls him aside. I know you. You were in that costume shop. Oh, I'm pleased you remember. You sold me that dress for Halloween and nearly got us all killed. But you look great. Oh. Ethan tells Buffy everything, and she calls Giles, asking him what the mark of Igon is. While on the phone, a zombified Philip attacks, looking for Ethan. The other kids come in and stop Ethan from running away. Buffy locks Philip in the library cage, and Giles shows up, no tie, top buttons unbuttoned, and looking a hot mess. And when I say hot mess, I mean hot mess. This Rupert Giles is dark and dangerous, and I am here for it. Hello, River. I thought I told you to leave town. You did. I didn't. Shop's lease is paid till the end of the month. Why did he call him Ripper? You should have left when I told you. Oh. Just as Giles is about to beat the holy hell out of Ethan, Philip breaks out of the library cage, knocking Jenny out and disintegrates into goo, which infects an unconscious Jenny with zombie virus. Jenny wakes up, and after firmly telling Buffy to mind her own damn business, Giles takes her home. While Buffy ignores Giles' warning and has the Scoobies researching the mark of Igon, Giles and Jenny hang out at his place. 
although the romantic vibe is kind of borked. I'm not a very safe person to be around at the moment. Nothing's safe in this world, Rupert. Don't you know that by now? At the library, Willow figures out that the demon Igon jumps into dead or unconscious bodies, and they figure out that it must have jumped into Jenny when Philip disintegrated. They call Giles' place, but Jenny slash Igon has already pulled the line out of the wall. The demon tries to seduce Giles, and when he says it wouldn't be right, she mocks him, and then sexually assaults him. You don't deserve me. But guess what? You've got me. Under your skin. The demon starts to beat Giles up, but Buffy breaks in and stops it. The demon says, three down, two to go, and jumps out the window. Buffy gives Giles some tough love and gets the story. When he was in college, he fell into a bad magical crowd and summoned the demon Igon, allowing the demon to possess them temporarily. And when it got out of control, one of them died during an attempted exorcism. As Buffy's about to go find Ethan to protect him from Jenny, Giles breaks down. I don't know how to stop it without killing Jenny. Buffy goes to protect Ethan, but he has a better idea, knocking her out and putting the mark of Igon tattoo on her and then burning his off his arm with glowing Gatorade so the demon kills her instead of him. Solid plan, old chap. At the library, Willow figures out the answer. The demon needs a dead body. She'll give it a dead body. Igon shows up at the costume shop and goes for Buffy. They fight and Giles breaks in, telling Igon to take him instead. But then Angel breaks in and strangles Jenny long enough to force the demon to jump into him. The demon in him fights off Igon. Ethan runs off and Giles and Jenny walk away. The next day at school, Giles checks on Jenny, asking if she's okay, but she brushes him off. I don't think she'll ever really forgive me. Maybe she shouldn't. All right, so Noelle, um, why don't you tell me what you think about the Dark Age? I love this episode so much. It's I so know it's good. so good, right? It's so good. <laughs> there, there is so much in this episode that I am here for. So hard. I know. And this is the episode of Still it. Pretty, where you remind me that my microphone does all the work for me, so I don't need to shriek because, <laughs> oh my dear God, Giles and Jenny, Giles and Jenny. <laughs> I know it's so great. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot, a lot, a lot to say about this episode. So, where do you want to get started? I don't know. Let's start with Giles and Jenny. I love them together, and I kind of hate that I love them together, but I love them together. I love <laughs> I them. It's really sweet. Except though, I have to say, when she was teasing him about the book, talking yeah. about dog earring a book and marking it up, and like. No, that's not okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was kind of mean. Yeah, I can't decide how I feel about her joke about doing unspeakable things to Giles's first edition book. Um, yeah. It definitely toes the line of being a, like a real jerk move. Yeah. And, and of course, I think the premise there is that if someone is buttoned up, that's a bad thing and they need to unbutton a little bit. Right. But of course, mm -hmm. people have all kinds of reasons for being buttoned up. And it's none of your damn business, um, including having like secret demonic tattoos that they don't want you to know about. So, you <laughs> Which know, is like, why we've never seen Giles without a long sleeve shirt no, and a blazer. <laughs> long sleeves forever. But uh -huh. like aside from that, that kind of I mean, that's kind of a jerk move. 
I mm-hmm. just, I'm so here for Giles and Jenny. And this is where my whole I don't go for romance claim falls completely the fuck apart because <laughs> I cannot wait for these two to get together. Yeah. And I think specifically it's the whole like he was a librarian. She was a techno pagan. She put her computers in his library. He let her take one of his books to bed. Like, I just love it. Right. <laughs> I will be the director of the Jenny Giles ship. Like, all right. Totally. And Willow's got my back, you know, with her like, feel the the passion. Can't you just imagine them getting together? (laughs) But then, of course, they all do imagine it and they hightail it to class. Right. Because adults having sex is gross. It is. It's gross and weird. It's super gross and weird. But aside from that, I mean, aside from that little that little jerk move about mm-hmm. his book, I mean, the way she greets him, morning mm-hmm. England, like, yeah. oh, <laughs> so good. And then, and then they kiss. And I love this moment so much. And my notes are just filled with exclamation points because they lean in, <laughs> the bell rings, and then they go for it anyway, I which know. is so unprofessional. You guys are at work. But also, yes! 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 (laughs) But it's still pretty awesome. And it's this very sweet little kiss. And they pull away mostly before any of the kids end up in the hallway. So, I mean, it is like, you know, it's it's okay. But but it's just so incredibly sweet. And I do, like, I'm not as excited, I think, for Jenny and Giles as you are. Because I've never really liked Jenny Calendar. Although I like her more and more as we go forward. Like, each episode she's in, she's, like, incrementally better. And then, yeah, and then she true. just moves up from there. But I mean, I love when she says, no, I'd like to stay in over the weekend. And we see this Giles personal life, you know, which is yes. so fantastic. I love we've never seen him in any context other than librarian and watcher, you know. Mm-hmm. And so to see him with a personal background, you know, to get all of this out of this episode, the Ripper stuff. I mean, I love it all. It's so good. It's so, mm-hmm. so good. And I love that Jenny is allowed to drive this relationship. Mm-hmm. I like her just telling him that she wants to have sex with him. I yeah. think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love it. And it's not like, it's not creepy. It becomes creepy when she's right. demon possessed. <laughs> but, oh, and by the way, I mean, there are several reasons that we know. How, you know, we know that Jenny is possessed when she's possessed because her eyes do the, you know, scary demon cat thing. But when Giles asks, how's your head? She does not say no complaints. And that's how we know. She does not make an (laughs) innuendo-y joke. And that's how we know it's not Jenny. (laughs) Okay. First of all, I don't think they would have gotten away with that. But that is a fantastic response to that question. (laughs) That's the response to that question. Clearly. The only response to that. The only response to how's your head is no complaints. <laughs> I guess unless you've had complaints and then it's not complaints. It's feedback. It's feedback. It's... <laughs> I've had mixed feedback is the response. <laughs> I don't know. Check my Yelp reviews. You know, yeah. <laughs> and then Yelp has a whole new meaning. Like you can double entendre this all the way down the hill. Oh, I mean... oh we, will, we will double entendre the house <laughs> down. All right. So what did you think of Jenny when she was all possessed? Oh, my God. Okay. So I have many, many feelings about this. Yes. Like many feelings. Uh Uh-huh. And my feelings about the demon, the demon possession are 
really, really tied to my queer reading of this episode and of Giles's past specifically. I'm not sure I can get into my demon feels without opening this whole can of subtextual bisexual intellectual feels. All right. You know what? Let's mm. open that because Whoa. I have been waiting to hear this theory. Oh, all my God. Week since OK. We started talking about all right, it. Right, right, I right. love it. So we've got, you know, so we we establish we've established Jenny Calendar as a love interest for Giles pretty clearly yes. at this point. And this is yeah. the episode where it it gets real. I mean, uh-huh. they kiss, they make plans to consummate their relationship or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But there's another Giles love interest in this episode. Because when Ethan rains, it pours, baby. (laughs) Okay, we have to make a t-shirt with that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I kind of can't believe I skipped over all the queerness that is Ethan rain when we talked about Halloween. And I think that's just because there was so damn much to talk about in Halloween. Interesting. Um, But I I read Ethan as queer, or at very Uh least not strictly heterosexual. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. quite unbuttoned, um, literally, in those jewel-toned shirts of his. And he's definitely got a flair for the theatrical. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of sexiness in the way that he delivers his lines. The way he says, you know, we go back, way back. (laughs) And unfortunately... Well, I mean, I'm sorry, but like, even if Ethan Rains was straight, as soon as he met up with Ripper... Like, that's yep. going to shove you a few stops down the Kinsey scale. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Right? It's Ripper. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And Ethan is into it. When, yeah. when they get together, when they get together, when they meet up yeah. again in Halloween, and he says, hello, Ripper. Like, it's this yeah. lovely, like, whoo. But, I mean, unfortunately, unfortunately, I think that Ethan's queerness is part of his villainy. Um, oh, because there's a long history in film and television and print oh, media yeah. before that of portraying villains as gay or gay adjacent or right. um, somehow less than like gender conforming. So like we'll see yeah. the big burly man with the high squeaky voice or we'll see the, mm-hmm. you know, the um, well, we get it in this episode when Jenny's possessed. Yeah. We get the, you know, mm-hmm. the young, gorgeous woman with the deep, scary, you know, there is no Dana, only Zool, you know, thing right. going on. <laughs> but uh-huh. so we've got, I mean, I think it, I, I think it, it sucks that Ethan's queerness is supposed to suggest to us and, and indicate to us that he is not such a great guy. Um, well, I don't know. Is it his queerness that suggests that or is it his his badness associated with this sort of this queer sort of sheen on him? Because I do see what you're what you're seeing there. Like, I do mm-hmm. think that he's attracted to Rupert. I do think that there was probably something between them in their younger days. You know, um, I, oh, you we'll know, get I don't, there. OK. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, like, is it that the putting um um elements of queerness within a character makes them villainous or we just so often only allow especially at this time you know only allow the queerness to come out in our villainous characters so we kind of associate those things because i definitely see what you're talking about like in pop culture villains in Mm -hmm. general we do sort of have them as you know sexually like you know I don't know. And I don't want to like, this is a word that they would have used back then, but it is not 
what I think, but like sexually deviant, right? Oh, yeah. You know, that we, oh. we have those yeah, elements sure. within and we, we only express those in our storytelling, you know, aligned with villainy so that we see them as connected, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the time. And the thing is, like, I like Ethan Rains. Like, he is, he's a villainous guy. Like, he is absolutely, you know, terrible. But I love the character. I think that he's interesting. And his, you know, this kind of like queer element, um, is associated with villainy so much, you know, that I mm-hmm. feel like I don't know if if that's a deliberate thing in, you know, in this, although it is in the text, you mm-hmm. know, what? No hug? Aren't you pleased yeah. to see your old mate? You know, exactly. um, it, it is in the text. And I think that um, the, the guy who plays Ethan Rains, I can't remember his name at the moment, um, and a, a million people listening to this shouting it out yeah, at me. Yeah, everyone's right now, shouting. I can't, <laughs> I can't hear you. You're in the future. I'm in the past. Um <laughs> But, uh, but I mean, I think that like, you know, even though it's, it's in the text, it's also very much in the performance. And I think that he does a really fantastic job with that, Yeah, you know, with kind of like pulling that element out. And I, you know, I'm kind of on the, on the fence here in that, like, I, I like the idea of seeing some queer representation, especially in a character as awesome as Ethan Rains. But yeah, this association between queerness and villainy is a overdone. You know, and be oh, yeah. like when that's the only representation that you have up until we get to season four. I'm not sure we have any gay characterization before season four, aside from uh, doppelganger, you know, Willow in season three with the vampire yeah. Willow, right? Yeah. Um. So I think when you have it in absence of any other real representation of, of, you know, gayness or, or non heteronormative, you know, cause there's a huge, huge spectrum there where anybody can fall. Um, I think that that is really what the problem is, but I don't know, like, I don't know that I would necessarily see it linked like that. If we didn't have everything, all the good people are straight and all the villains have some of this element to them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think that, I mean, and that's what I was getting at, that that mm-hmm. we use this in fiction as a way to further reinforce the idea of someone yeah. being not quite right. You know, that someone mm-hmm. is like, mm, ooh, you know, this, this, this person who appears to be a man is a little too feminine or he's a little bit too delighted by... Um, you know, being being beaten up. Like I thought that was interesting in Halloween when oh, yeah. when Giles I mean, he kicks Ethan in the side and Ethan Rain is all like laughing and smiling on the floor yeah. because he's like <laughs> he's so excited that this dark Giles is back. Yeah. You know, this dark and he, mm-hmm. he it's a um it's a great source of friction in their relationship. But no, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm not for a minute suggesting that, you know, our writers were sitting around going, and let's make him gay so everyone knows he's right. evil. It's just that that's, you know, it's the, it's the fucking terroir again. <laughs> I mean, it's like terroir. that's, you know. No, it really is. It's just there. It's so, and I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the, I'm thinking about like the Joker and Batman, mm-hmm. right? You know, all that makeup, the high-pitched cackle, like all of these things that, that sort of um, kind of take this idea, these, these uh, culturally assumed affectations of queerness mm-hmm. and twist them into something demonic. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, most Disney villains 
are mm-hmm. a great example of that kind of queered, you know. Sure. The female uh, villains always have these really deep voices, right? Mm-hmm. So they always kind of have that element of the masculine. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. a, there's a, you know, I mean, it's, there's a long, long history and people have written books and dissertations and, you know, all mm-hmm. kinds of wonderful things about um, queerness in cinema and how it, how it is used as a way to reinforce um, heteronormativity and heterosexism mm-hmm. in society. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives us an excuse to hate people who are, you know, in the case of, um, you know, a male presenting character like Ethan Rain, you know, to mm-hmm. hate someone who is feminine. Um, and yeah. it's really, I mean, and this is why, I mean, we'll say it over and over again, but this is why representation matters. This is why yes. story matters, because if all you ever see is the effeminate man or, or I mean, I wouldn't even call Ethan Rain effeminate necessarily. No, I think he's, he's incredibly masculine, but he has some of those affectations and he takes delight in Ripper. Yes. You know, yeah. in a way that is that is kind of sexual. Yeah. I mean, I know like he says, you know, what? No hug. Um, and the way right. he says, you know, aren't you pleased to see your old mate, Rupert? And I know that mm-hmm. mate doesn't mean mate in British English the way it, you know, yeah. does in American English. But there's that dual meaning there. Um, and as we'll see much later in the series, doing magic becomes a stand in for queer sex because oh, we can't yes. show. Yes. You know, there's so much that we that that we want to talk about storytelling wise, but we can't show. Um, and mm-hmm. we'll get a lot of magic is sex. Doing magic together is, mm-hmm. um, you know, a stand in for having sex. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is. So, you know, there's all of this like deep knowing between Ethan and mm-hmm. Giles and I don't think it's just a, I know what you did last summer 20 years ago, kind of smugness. Right. Ethan. Mm-hmm. Like he likes Dark Giles. He is genuinely delighted when Giles, you know, grabs him and hurts him. Um, and, you know, so we hear, we hear when Giles tells his story that it was, that he and Ethan were the ones who discovered Igon together and they brought the mm-hmm. rest of the group in. And... We've seen the list of people who comprise this group, and it appears to be four men and one woman. Yeah. So then later, Willow tells us ancient sex used to induce possession. This is possession by Igon for Bacchanals and orgies. And of course, we make Mm -hmm. that joke about Giles and orgies because the kids are just like, what? No, not possible. (laughs) But an orgy, of course, is a wild party, especially one involving excessive drinking. And open, mm-hmm. unrestrained sexual activity or group sex. Now, we've always already seen drinking in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I think the group sex is implied. We're talking about a group sure. of people, the majority of whom have factory installed penises getting it on right. with and or <laughs> in, the, in the name of a pansexual demon. All right. Who then? I think you, you know, got solid theory going on there. Yeah. yeah. So you know, and this this we sum this up when when Jenny is possessed by Igon, mm-hmm. and Igon mm-hmm. as Jenny. I never know how to talk about a possessed person in fiction because it's yeah. Jenny, but it's the demon, whatever. But when yeah. when you know the possessed Jenny comes on to Giles, 
and then sexually assaults him. Mm -hmm. It says, was it good for you? In this really, like, disgusting Mm -hmm. sort of, I don't know. Right. Freddy Krueger-ish sort of way. Like, so you asked me that, all of that, because you asked me what I thought of Jenny when she was possessed. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, I think it's great. So I think that, I mean, so which gets me to what I think of Jenny when she's possessed, Mm -hmm. which is that Igon is a pretty good representation of Giles's internalized homophobia. Oh. Because this all comes out, so to speak, after he kisses Jenny. After he kisses Uh her and they make plans to spend the weekend together. He's that that is when the the conflict really escalates. Um, and it's Giles confronting himself in the mirror after identifying Philip's mm-hmm. body. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, you're back. But he's talking to himself right. in the mirror. Um, God. You know, and Igon in Jenny's body says, this is what happens when people get involved. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's kind of true. When you get involved with yeah. someone, your past demons show the fuck up, right? I mean, and in this case, <laughs> right. it's a literal demon. Yeah. Um. And when, when Igon starts monologuing at Giles, it's uh-huh. to poke holes in Giles' sexuality and masculinity, you know, mm-hmm. mocking him. Oh, it's not right. It's not proper. Because being unwilling to, quote unquote, take advantage of a woman's body yeah. is mockable. It's less than right. masculine. Mm-hmm. And then Igon says, you're like a woman, Ripper. You never had the strength for me. And right. I just like, I, I'm like, all right, we could spend an hour just on this interaction alone. <laughs> I mean, the demon is establishing itself. The demon is in what appears to be a woman's body. Mm-hmm. Um, but and it's a, was, I mean, they did have one woman in the group back yeah, in the day. So yeah. obviously this is not something new. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is not a this is not a demon that only possesses a certain kind of body with a certain kind of factory installed equipment. I mean, right. this is the demon establishing itself as something not woman. Um, mm-hmm. And then the thing that I find so, so bizarre and like I, I it, it puts me into research mode to borrow from, yeah. you know, our sister podcast still dead. <laughs> the demon when the demon jumps into Angel. The demon, so the way this works, right? The way that Igon is defeated mm-hmm. is that the demon inside Angel defeats Igon because apparently the demon in Angel is a strapping manly demon that dominates mm-hmm. Igon, the pansexual, maybe gay male. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. is that what we're doing here? That, that, angels angels internal demons are all you know heterosexual <laughs> so the the heterosexual <laughs> and so it defeats the homosexual or pansexual yeah or the uh, yeah other demon right yeah this is i mean interesting because because i love i love willow's solution to this problem it's fucking brilliant oh yeah but mm-hmm. how do we know that the demon in angel is stronger than icon See, I read that as the demon in Angel wasn't what fought him off. 
Angel fought him off because Angel is used to having a demon in there and he's, you know, he's used to being in a human body. Whereas the other demon, you know, Igon is not used to that because he's just been kind of floating around before he could possess all these people. And then he just keeps turning into goo, which has got to be incredibly frustrating if you look at this from the demon's perspective, (laughs) you know. Um, So I think that it's just that Angel knows what it is to have a demon and he was ready for that fight, whereas Igon wasn't ready for that fight but i mean i think that given all the other you know subtextual like queer theory here that that's not an unfair reading of that yeah yeah i just think it's fascinating that when the demon is mocking giles it's for being effeminate and for you know the the demon when the demon assaults him it says something like you never you know you never had the strength for me you never had the stomach for it There's Mm -hmm. something here and I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to get too far into the queer theory weeds, um, Mm -hmm. but there's something here about being on, oh my gosh, how do I talk about this in in as least problematic a way as possible? Being on the, (laughs) like being a receiver in the sexual Uh encounter versus being a, I don't know, driver. (laughs) Yeah. Being, because, because we've seen all along Jenny, who is a woman is driving mm-hmm. this sexual relationship yeah she's the mm-hmm. one who wants to make him squirm she's the one who is you know making all of these plans for them and taking him to monster trucks or whatever the fuck um mm-hmm. monster trucks by the way which is a very masculine uh, oh, yeah. you know kind of interest Just idea yeah from jenny's the beginning <laughs> jenny's interests um, definitely veer toward the masculine. I mean, she's the one who's into yeah. sports. She's the one who's into monster trucks and computers. And yes, I know we're getting into like gendered, problematic gendered territory. People of all genders, you know, can have all kinds of hobbies and interests. But in terms of media representation and how we tend yes. to show masculine and mm-hmm. feminine, Jenny's mm-hmm. interests veer toward the masculine. So mm-hmm. she is the she's the more dominant in her Mm -hmm. relationship with giles um and the demon i think the the internalized homophobia demon plays on Mm -hmm. that for giles giles's insecurity about being and this is subtextual giles's subtextual insecurity about being less than a man because yeah this woman that he's interested in is driving their relationship. And in the past he may or may not have had sexual contact with other men. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's interesting because like, I, I don't read it that way. And I think maybe it's just because I love Giles so much. Oh yeah. But I mean, (laughs) Like, I think that you have absolutely solid textual evidence, the way he looks in the mirror, uh, you know, he gets involved with a woman and then all these things come back up and he's afraid and he's afraid of being discovered and his body is literally marked with mm-hmm. this, you know, and he hides and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, there's a closeted element to that. But I think for me, like, I look at Giles and I've never really thought about him in terms of, you know, of the spectrum because he's always when he's with anybody, you know, in the show, he's with a woman because, Mm -hmm. again, Joss Whedon in the 90s, extremely heteronormative. Um, And we're definitely going to spend tons of time talking about that. Right. Um, But but I think that he is uh, I don't know, like I, I see him as somebody who would be accepting of that sexuality. 
you know, that he would be fine with the fact that he was, you know, he was like, you know, playing around or um, I don't know, just uh, just on the spectrum or like having those experiences when he was younger. I could definitely see him being with a man, you know, as this character. I could see him being bisexual. Absolutely. You know, um, and I think that there are things within Giles that do have those traditional feminine elements, you know, in in a more heroic way. And yet we don't really see that we never textually acknowledge that, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I think it's just because like my reading of Giles would be the something like that, you know, that he would accept himself. But you know what, because he's so ashamed of the magic. And I think the magic is associated. I think you're right. I think you're right. I just like my read of it because I love Giles so much is that Giles, if he, wherever he was on the Kinsey scale, he would accept that and be fine with it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, well, and that that's that, not what would bother him. Mm-hmm. Except that this magic is yeah, what no, you're killed right. his friend. I mean, yeah. that it goes, it goes from, you know, a fun sex party to an unsuccessful exorcism real fast Mm -hmm. and you know people die and if we wanted to do an AIDS pariah story here we absolutely Mm -hmm. could I don't think that's what we're doing at all um right but if but my my queer theorist friends out there I mean take it and run with it because I think there's something but it's not just AIDS that would kill gay people i mean it's matthew shepherd i mean it's abuse it's getting beat up it's you know i mean there's there's a million different things that make being a gay person or just a non-hetero straight person much more dangerous oh absolutely you know there's a number of things and so Absolutely. You know what? I think you're absolutely right i think that i just i like giles so much i like to think that he's not homophobic but you know, I mean, but, I think that you're absolutely but right. But Buffy I think is homophobic in this, this episode. Buffy makes a homophobic remark in this episode. when Oh, how did I miss that? What did she say? Ethan says, um, says to her, aren't we manly? And she says, mm-hmm. one of us is. Oh. Which is extremely, extremely homophobic. Because, but she's embracing her own masculinity, though. But but, but by saying by he's not manly, his. she's slamming him. Sure, she is mm-hmm. she is diminishing him by insulting yep. his masculinity, and that's where the that's right. what the homophobia is. I mean, because yeah, homophobia, and this is how homophobia and misogyny get linked. Mm-hmm. That yep. if, if we associate anything, anything female or feminine with less than than a man mm-hmm. who is in any way you know i'm using the biggest air quotes in the world and you can't say me but right. not manly mm-hmm. you know because yeah. because mm-hmm. masculine and feminine in society are these monoliths never mind that yes. gender is imaginary you know mm-hmm. like it's it is made up this is all made up and we use this mm-hmm. language to control people in society. Um, so I think, I think that there's, there's a real depth to, I mean, internalized misogyny. We see that on, on Buffy as well, but internalized misogyny, internalized homophobia, because Mm -hmm. I don't think, I don't think Giles has a problem with Ethan. I mean, Mm -hmm. except that Ethan is cruel and unusual and, you know, no, Ethan's villainy yeah. is what he has a problem yeah, with, but, but not, not Ethan as, yeah, not Ethan as the sort of, you know, pansexual imp that he 
right. you know, comes, mm-hmm. comes across as. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I mean, it's, it's a really, really tricky situation. And mm-hmm. I, I gotta give it to Anthony Stewart head for giving just the best performance I think that we've seen so far. Um, oh my God. No, it's fantastic. When he lies to the detective about yeah. the tattoo and he says, mm-hmm. no, she says, have you seen this before? And he says, no. Or do you know what this mm-hmm. is? He says, no, but you can see the yes on his face. It like, I know. Oh, it's so good. It's so, so good. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, all of that like deep, there's so much deep shame that comes through yeah. in, in, Anthony Stewart Head's performance, you know, when he mm-hmm. he like takes that drink, he takes that sip of whiskey and then he like touches his face and, you know, holds his head like, oh, God, you know what? Yeah. Like it's all all of these things that he thought were he was past. I mean, this was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. He's got two decades of separation from all of these people. In whatever way mm-hmm. they were related and whatever, you know, contact, sexual or otherwise, they may have had. This is this is in the distant past for him. This is half his yeah. life ago. So mm-hmm. then to be confronted with that and his deep shame over, you know, the death of his friend because he and mm-hmm. Ethan were playing with this with this demonic possession as a as a way to get high. It's mm-hmm. really, really good. It's really it's good. fantastic. Yeah. And Anthony Stewart head is amazing. And this is one of the things that I absolutely love about this episode is this is our first look into personal Giles, right? It's the first time we see his apartment. It's the first time we see him in any context other than watcher or librarian. Yes. Um, you know, and we reverse the roles with Buffy. Like in this episode, Buffy's the watcher. Buffy's the protector. You know, Buffy's the adult. Yeah. You know? I love that we that we do that with them and we put her in that position. They are much more equals as of this point. Like this is when we kind of switch into that space because Buffy is already, because of her responsibilities, forced to become an adult much earlier, mm-hmm. you know, than than for a kid her age, than yeah. usually a kid her age would. Um, and so she's in this adult space and she is so comfortable within it. She, you know, stands up to Giles. She gives him tough love when he needs it. She listens to him when he needs it. She provides him comfort when he needs that, you know. Um, she's there with him through this whole thing. And I love seeing that move with Buffy because we are really taking her. I mean, the first step on this path, I think, was Prophecy Girl when she laid down her life you know, mm-hmm. to save others, yeah. right? Um, and she comes back from that experience essentially changed. And we've seen her growing and growing and growing and growing last week with Lie to Me, right? Yeah. She, the, the, that loss of innocence, yep. you know? And here we are with her on the other side of that, where she is able to be the adult in the relationship with Giles and support him in the way that he needs it and not taking orders from him. He tells her to stay out of it. And yeah. she completely ignores that because she knows what needs to be done. So she is taking over the role of the person in charge while Giles is, you know, is kind of knocked out yeah. for a while. Um, and it is because she does that that we're able to to save the day. Although Willow does a huge amount of that and her stepping in is kind of amazingly fantastic. It's it's she's so good. Phenomenal. Before we get into Willow and how much I love her, because we yes. all know how much I love Willow. Um, something that is wonderful about the Buffy Giles role reversal here 
is that Mm -hmm. he talks about when he tells her his story, he talks about being in school and resenting everything because he knew that he was going to be a watcher. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what he wanted to do with his life. Right. Because Mm -hmm. this was his destiny. And we've Mm -hmm. heard, I mean, this has been, this has been Buffy's, you know, emotional leitmotif for the entire show thus far, which is, you know, I want to do these things. I want to choose my own path, but I have this. But I am chosen. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of that, you know, rebellion, I guess, from Giles, he talks about dropping out of school. Um, mm-hmm. which is a great reveal after the, the Scoobies have speculated at the beginning that Giles lived for school. You know, he's disappointed right. that there were only 12 grades. It turns this out. This math could be mathier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It turns out. No, no, he, mm-hmm. he was not, you know, always mm-hmm. the person that they know him to be. And a big part yeah. of that was his coming into his understanding of his role and his his destiny to mm-hmm. be a watcher. Um, and what happens? What happens when you give people, oh, I don't know, prescribed roles in society and tell them, <laughs> you know, what they can and can't do and who and, yes. you know, who they can be with or not mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. all of that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I just I love that where he's he is grappling, you know, once again with Mm -hmm. this past that was so influenced by a resistance to the role that he was Mm -hmm. you know that he never got a choice he never got a choice you know we we hear about his experience of that at the end of is it never kill a boy on the first date where he comforts her Mm -hmm. by telling her about you know when his his father told him that he would be a watcher Mm -hmm. I, it's like here we go but from the other side I just I love it I love the the balance in the Buffy Giles mm-hmm. relationship and that oh it's so sweet at the end when she says come on say it you know you want to about the music oh and just know. like oh I love it so much I love he goes, it it's not music it's just a bunch of sounds yeah. and like <laughs> she goes, do you feel better and he's like yeah, yeah a little, a little. <laughs> It's so sweet. Yeah. And it's a nice bookend, too, because we open, of course, with her playing the music really loud. And that's why they can't hear Philip outside. Yeah. Um, but it's it's such a wonderful reflection, you know, of these two. And again, this is us moving Buffy and Giles to a space where they are truly equals. Yes. You know, like the fact that he's an adult and he's a watcher doesn't really mean anything. They are developing this relationship in the way that fits them best, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And they both have these, you know, really restrictive prescribed roles, you know, which I think is really an interesting read with the, you know, the um, the the heteronormativity that is kind of, you know, impressed upon people. Oh, yeah. and like you have to be if you're a girl, you're these things. And if you're a boy, you're these things. And one of the things that I actually really like about the Jenny and Giles relationship is that she does have many of the more traditionally, quote unquote, masculine traits. And he has the, you know, some of the quote-unquote feminine traits but I don't really feel like like they're being 
um, that's being played as something that either diminishes from her femininity or his masculinity. Like, I feel like we are seeing them both as, as the people that they are. And it's actually one of the things that I think is kind of nicely done. Do you think so? Is that that something that you see? Oh, I agree 100%. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great, um, I mean, it's something, it's, it's part of the reason that I am the cruise director for the Jenny Giles ship is I, (laughs) I love, I love how they, I love their energy together. I love. And it's natural. It doesn't feel like a forced, like, here we are, show us, here we are with a, the more, you know, you know, after school special about, you know, gender roles and, you know, it doesn't, (laughs) and it also doesn't feel like the other side of it where they're making fun of it, where they're like, oh, look how manly she is. Look how feminine he is. Like to me, it feels very natural and actually the way things should be. Be, that people should be able to have and express whatever qualities are truly their own, as opposed to the qualities that are just, you know, what they've been prescribed societally. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And given how, how strictly heteronormative this show is, yeah. you know, um, well, and, and even when we get to Willow, it still has a lot of rigidity in the way it represents that relationship. Yeah, um, I mean, it's not we'll just get to that when we get there. It's not just heteronormative. It's heterocentrist and very binary. Yes. Like, yes, there's, it's yes, very binary. binary. There's no mm-hmm. middle ground. There's no space for, you know, like maybe had some sexual contact with men in the past, but now not so interested or now, you know, there's, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's by erasure all the way down is what it is. It's like, you can be straight or you can be gay and there is no middle space. And even then we don't see like gay characters until I think Larry, right. In season three. You know, oh, and when gosh. he finally comes out and there, it's a joke. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we don't see. And then and then by the time we get to Willow, you know, we oh, have God, that's this handled so poorly. flip switch. It's... Right. Like you're either a one, you're either a Kinsey zero or a six. Yeah. And that's it. That's all you get. You know, those are your choices. Um, Never mind. So... Oh, my God. It's I'm it's going to be the longest rant that I ever ranted <laughs> that we completely. And there we go again with like the internalized internalized by you know homophobia internalized Mm -hmm. biphobia willow herself erases her entire sexual history prior to tara i just can't i can't can't. yeah we'll we'll get there when we get there when we get there there's some interesting stuff that she says in season seven with that with regard to that that i think kind of works a little bit with it but yeah you're absolutely right i mean it's it's yeah and of course, they were we doing so this right. in real time. You know, they were like, mm-hmm. like Buffy. One of the reasons that that Buffy the Vampire Slayer is such an amazing queer text is that mm-hmm. the the writers and the the actors and the directors were were teasing all of this out in real time. I mean, this is the late nineties; yeah. it's the early aughts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're in the heyday of gay panic on yeah. television, right? Yeah. The heyday of, of, you know, Ross and Joey taking a nap together on a couch, and that is an <gasps> oh entire episode of Friends, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, Right? I mean, mm-hmm. this is during this time. Yeah. This is when, the, you know, we have that whole episode of Seinfeld. Not that there's anything wrong with that, right? Yeah. Um, because of the presumption that, yes, there's something there's wrong something with that. Wrong That's with why that, that mm-hmm. is an episode of television, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, I mean, there's so much of that it, at this time, and breaking free of that 
that is a progress. And I mean, at the time, like it was a huge thing that we even had, you know, a lesbian couple on television. Oh, it was celebrated for fucking amazing. Yeah, it was fucking yeah. phenomenal. Like it was. And this is something I mean, this is something about the history of the LGBTQ movement in the United mm-hmm. States is that we've had the fastest like human rights movement in history mm-hmm. i think like that just historically th- the the rise of awareness of queer identities and queer issues now we have a mm-hmm. lot of work to do we have a lot of work to do yeah. but in terms of oh, yeah. in terms of awareness and representation the the increase i mean it's just explosive and it happened yeah. so quickly so when we're talking about a text like Buffy, that is mm-hmm. kind of towing the line of some of these issues of queerness and, you know, other air quotes, sexualities, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're doing this in real time. Like they're teasing this yeah. out kind of as they go. And I think especially and responding to the culture yeah, yeah, in yeah. which they live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think as we go along, we'll see this where they sort of try like you can it's like, oh, we're trying really hard to do a good job. But then, you know, now when we look at it, you know, looking back with our, our 2020 hindsight, we're like, oh, that's mm-hmm. that's fucked up. Like, that's way right. fucked up. Um, but for the time, mm-hmm. it was actually really a, like a, a good push forward. And it was the best that they could probably do at the time with what they had. Mm -hmm. So given that, like, I appreciate the fact that we, you know, that we got what we got from Buffy. I think that the criticisms are absolutely fair, but also, you know, when you think about the progression of, you know, LGBTQ and it breaks my heart to say this, but I think it's true. It's because there's white people who are LGBTQ. Oh yeah. And so they use their white privilege to move that forward the same way that that white women had used, you know, white privilege to move feminism forward. Um, So which actually brings me to my uh, this week in feigned wokeness, uh, which is a very brief, a very brief mention of a person of color that we've got in this episode. The only person of color that I picked up on, and of course, is a black woman detective, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a variation on the the black woman judge trope, right? Mm -hmm. Which is this, okay, so what we're going to do is we're not going to like write a character of color. We're not going to give anything interesting for this actor to do. We will, however, employ an actor and we will make sure that we, you know, we give her a job that is powerful and respected within the community and and, you know, we'll have her in that position and we'll be able to say, hey, we have a black woman and here she is. She's a judge. She's a cop. She's a doctor. She's mm-hmm. a professor. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and we'll do that without actually writing characters of color within the story. And this is something that is a phenomenon that has gone back for quite some time. You see it everywhere as a matter of fact i think the vast majority of judge characters are black mm-hmm. um in tv and film from the 70s forward right uh, because this is our way of nodding to the fact that we need to you know have have more roles for these people without actually giving them anything within the fiction that is other than a neutral kind of background functional narratively functional but not essential to the fiction character um and so as soon as i see like and the thing is it drives me crazy because on the one hand i'm like yes 
<laughs> you know, mm-hmm. this person got work for a week. Yeah. And that is awesome because we need more representation, not just, you know, on screen, although definitely, but God, behind the scenes, you know, yeah. above the line, making the creative decisions. And that's something that is happening a lot more now. Um, but as soon as I saw that, that, you know, black woman detective, I was just like, for God's sake, you know, <laughs> like, can we just not with this? So, you know, Buffy in its time, I think was, I, I think it, I think it did better by LGBTQ than it did by people of color. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but overall, like, you know, trying to remember what the time was and, and how all that works. I think I'm, um, I'm more impressed with its work, you know, with LGBTQ, oh, yeah. um, and its awareness than this kind of, uh, you know, very, very thin sort of nod toward, oh, see, no, we have black people in Sunnydale. Mm-hmm. We have people of color in yeah. Sunnydale. Sure. You know, yep. um, so I found that that really, really super stood out to me as this this creaky institution within Hollywood to pretend that we've got representation. Oh, yeah, for sure. I want the spinoff series about Detective Winslow. I mean, investigating homicides yes. on a hellmouth. Are you kidding me? Yes. Like that right? would be so yeah. good. I, I want right. her whole her whole story. Especially because we exactly. know that the police are corrupt in Sunnydale, just like they're corrupt a lot of places. Oh, um, sure. But, you know, if the police are in on it with Principal Snyder and then we have, you know, Detective Winslow looking mm-hmm. at all of these deaths, which, by the way, an adult dies on campus and we're like, holy shit, call the police, bring in the detectives. <laughs> But, you know, kids are disposable because we can just make more of those. Like, right. Exactly. But when an adult dies, oh, holy shit. Bring out. Yes. You know, bring out the the crime scene tape. I mean, Jesus. So exactly. So clunky. So definitely clunky on the race representation scale, but also Mm -hmm. super, super clunky on the storytelling side of things. Yeah. I mean, like, mm-hmm. really? Like, this is the homicide that brings someone <laughs> into the library looking for Giles? Like, hmm, right. it kind of seems right. like maybe. Oh, oh my God. But can I just say, though, I love Cordelia. Oh, my God. I love Cordelia and Xander in this episode. <laughs> can we spend a few minutes talking about that? Absolutely. Because it's fantastic. Why does everybody keep yelling at me? Like, I don't know how to take a hint. <laughs> And then there are books on computers. Isn't the point of computers to replace books? books? I love, I love her. I love her and Xander when they're fighting. It's completely adorable. And then, you know, when there's danger, we get a shot and Xander's got his arms around Cordelia. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, they've got this whole like love hate thing happening right there. And it is just so nice. Yeah. I really, really enjoy Xander and Cordelia. Yep. Yep. I really, really like I it's I mean it's horrible the way he phrases it but he's like 12 years of you and I'm gonna snap I don't care if you're a girl I'm gonna throw down you know he's he is ready to fight her and she just stands up and is like I am not afraid of you like you can oh god not even like not even kind of they're so well matched in that way it's just it's it's just wonderful. And then, of course, Willow. We never did loop back around to Willow and how fantastic she oh. is. But yelling yeah. at them when they're I fighting. I love that. And we have mm-hmm. set that up by showing her taking a sip from her tea as she's researching. Oh, I know. She had Giles' teacup. She's it in was so Giles cool. mode. She's in 
full-blown Giles mode. And then she yes. yells at them, you know, if you're not with me 110%, you can get the hell out of, get my out of my library. library. <laughs> my library. You go, yep. Rosenberg. Yep. You go. I know everybody's trading roles in this episode and I just love it and Cordelia I love when they're all in the library and Buffy's handing out assignments and Cordelia's like what am I gonna do Mm -hmm. and Buffy's like I don't even I don't know help Xander (laughs) yes I know I know and then but she steps up and she says how can I help what can I do and I love that I love Cordelia yeah yeah she's oh so funny so funny we get some good cordelia we don't get much cordelia in this episode but we get what we get is just what we get is fantastic it was a one-way street i was going one way i was going one way i know and of course the first thing she does when she sees a cop is can you get me out of this ticket oh cordelia (laughs) oh my god it's so so adorable yep i love it all right so what do you got for this week's what are you wearing oh my god so much tweed Lots of tweed. So much tweed. I actually love the way. But then the tweed is off. Yeah. yeah. I like the way that, that tweed is sort of a character and it's become kind of a joke with Giles. Well, right. It, and then, it represents everything in his personality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He is, I mean, tweed. And and that's a that's a cool fabric with a lot of history that I won't get into because I'm not that kind of, <laughs> I'm not that kind of historian. But um, uh-huh. tweed is super cool. But Giles' whole look has been a joke for a few episodes now, mm-hmm. but right. Mm-hmm. I love how we show Giles's descent into darkness you mm-hmm. know, with his, like, the, the change in his physical appearance. It's so great. First of all, stubble. What? Right. I mean, right. come on. Giles shaves at 5.15 on the dot every morning. And every evening. <laughs> There's no five o'clock shadow here. Oh, my God. The stubble and the glasses off and the tie uh-huh. off and the, bu- uh, the shirt top, the top buttons unbuttoned. Sleeves I love up. this Giles mm. so much. Mm, it's good stuff. It's good. Um, that tattoo, though, you guys, that's kind of terrible. Like, Mark of Igon? Yeah. Mm-mm. I don't. I, yeah, I, it's pretty bad. I don't prefer why it. Why didn't he remove it all these years? Like, why didn't he just have it removed? That is an excellent question. Maybe it's maybe it's one of those things of like, I never wanted to forget what I did. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I wanted something to remind me that one of my friends died while I was magically trying while I was, to exercise a yeah, demon while I was out of them. Having magical Because that's sex. something you'd forget otherwise. I don't know. <laughs> right? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it looks, it's funny, the t- the symbol to me looks a little bit reproductive adjacent. Like it looks sort of like, oh, like sperm sure. plus flower parts, maybe? I don't know. I don't Interesting. Know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you no, it's a, it's Burn a tattoo bad. off your body with acid, which I think with is. With Gatorade. Yeah, with Gatorade. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Gatorade. Or Mountain Dew. I don't know what it was, but it was yellow. I don't know. <laughs> It was urine. It was demon urine. urine. (laughs) All right. Demon urine. Okay. The best way to get rid of tattoos. Demon urine. (laughs) Demon urine. (laughs) How do I get rid of this demonic tattoo? Well, urine luck. Now with... (laughs) As seen on TV Uh in the Walmart aisle. Yes. Yep. Yep. (laughs) But the the Giles's physical transformation as he oh, yeah. descends into darkness with his weird dreams and falling asleep on his yes. desk and all of that. Okay, all right. 
story storytelling question. Sure. What the fuck with the dreams? You know, it's really interesting because, um, and that's kind of part of this role reversal too with Giles and Buffy, yeah. because Buffy is usually the one who has the prophetic dreams, but because he is so linked to these people that time and Igon, right? Yeah. Um, I think that that there's something in that that's giving him dreams because Ethan says, oh, you've been having the dreams, haven't you? Right. Which indicates that Ethan has also been having the dreams. So all of these people have been having these dreams. They're all freaked out. Igon is going through them like a hot knife through butter. And now Giles and Ethan are next, you know. Um, So, yeah. So I find that uh, I kind of liked that because it, it put this again, this reversal. You know, he is experiencing a lot of what Buffy experiences, you know, in she is playing his role so they're supporting each other in in those ways you know it's just it's really great I love I love the dreams as part of this story but I don't understand Mm -hmm. what we're supposed to understand about the dreams other than that they connect Giles to Ethan and to the demon and to their past I mean does he know there's like this weird cross fade sort of situation going on that suggests to Mm -hmm. me that he is connected to the tattoo somehow so that when Ethan tattoos the mark of Igon on Buffy then Giles is dreaming about that I don't know I was confused by yeah some of the editing choices I think it has yeah, I mean, they're weirdly edited. The dreams are usually weirdly edited. Um, and uh, But I think that for for Giles, it is that connection. And I think the tattoo may be representative, you know, of that. Um, but but I think the that Igon being active, you know, mm-hmm. kind of activates the little bit of Igon, I think that is maybe, maybe there's residual demon, you know, you <laughs> exercise like 98%, sure. but you can't get it all out, oh, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I think that maybe there's a little bit of that residual demon in there that gets activated, you know, when Igon is, you know, in pursuit or whatever, and that that's what gives them those, um, you know, those connected dreams, those, those prophetic dreams where they can see what's happening. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I'll take it. That's my guess. I'll take it. I don't know. I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So while we're still in what what are you wearing? um, I have to say, you know how I feel about I love Buffy's fashion sense. I love all of that. I hate when they make actresses run in high heel boots. (laughs) That drives me crazy. I love that Buffy in this fight with the blood bank vampires, right? That she's wearing like, I think sweatpants. She's wearing, (laughs) she's got the leather coat on, but she's wearing sneakers and she's beating holy hell out of them with sneakers on. And I'm like, thank you for that. Like, it's just, it's just too much. I appreciate it. It's just too much. Yeah. That, that little bit of, of reality and of comfort, like honestly, and I just went through this on, you know, in an episode of uh, listen up a holes, it'll be coming out next month um but that where like the clothing that people wear you know because because the whole point of storytelling is not that you show it how it is or how it should be but that you show it how it feels Mm -hmm. right and so Buffy's fashion and those choices are about how it feels to be the slayer that she feels stylish she feels powerful she's wearing high-heeled shit kicking boots Mm -hmm. right and that's I think that that's great but there's something about it that drives me crazy when the practicality of the outfit clashes with the needs of the, you know, of what she has to do. When you have to beat the hell out of somebody, you know, you don't want to be wearing like a prom dress, right. you know, and I mean, in, in 
prophecy girl that's how it turned out and that's fine you know yeah and that's the point that progress was definitely a big part (laughs) of it right but i think that like normally when you're going on patrol and you're walking for miles like the reality of that i just can't get past it (laughs) i can't get past how it is to how it feels yeah you know and and i understand that this is probably just a problem with me but every time (laughs) buffy you know wears a pair of sneakers while she's on patrol i think an angel gets its wings i'm just saying (laughs) no i love it i love the range in buffy's wardrobe yeah i love that we see her wear all kinds of things that just it yeah makes me very happy and i think it really supports this thesis that the show has already that she plays yeah she's the slayer but she plays all of these other roles as well yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely and they all are different and they feel different and so you know i like that there's a representation you know for how it feels because that's what that's what fiction does yes like when you're you know when you're doing television or movies or you know writing something it's not about how it is it's about how it feels you just have to make it believable Mm -hmm. you know i however find these things distracting (laughs) i however like i can't get over the money issues in angel on still dead we have a ninja in a ridiculous outfit for fighting on listen up a-holes that'll be out next month um so yeah like i just i get caught up in these things and i realize it's annoying i just can't help it i just said something about the clothing that i just like i just need a little more reality i think you can be stylish and still wear sneakers that's all i have to say about it so moving on to arg the patriarchy (laughs) (laughs) what do you got for us well we talked about we talked already about igon's demonic ideas about sexuality and consent and manliness Mm -hmm. um you know what it means to be a man what it means to be a woman and i touched on buffy's homophobia with respect to Mm -hmm. ethan rain um something that i that i didn't that I didn't get into is the very end when uh, Giles confronts Jenny about what Mm -hmm. happened and she is traumatized. I mean, she's, you know, and, and makeup does a great job of making her look kind of rattled. Like she's been through it and she tells us that she hasn't been, or no, not that she hasn't been sleeping, but that she's been sleeping a lot, that she's exhausted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about that, and I really I like the way that that is that that scene is shot. I really like mm-hmm. the way it's played. I like that when he goes to touch her, she backs away and she backs away mm-hmm. up the stairs, which gets her a yeah. little bit of height in addition to mm-hmm. putting distance between them. So she raises herself up by distancing herself from him, and I think that mm-hmm. that's you know that's beautifully symbolic. But it uh, it strikes me that Giles is the one who was who was assaulted by the demon. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't you know, it's not a it's not a trauma contest. And, you know, demonic possession looks like no fun whatsoever. Yeah, I think we've established at this point that when demonic or magical things happen to you, that you are conscious and aware of what's going on mm-hmm. and unable to intervene. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about Halloween specifically, where we learn that yeah. everyone was sort of trapped in themselves when the, the mm-hmm. chaos spell was going on. So obviously, obviously Jenny has a lot of trauma to process about 
being, <laughs> having been possessed mm-hmm. by this demon. But Giles doesn't have any of that. And I right. think that's really subtly problematic and patriarchal that he goes right into when things go back to normal he goes back into Mm -hmm. sort of masculine protector mode and she's allowed to be rattled by the whole thing and he's just you know he's kind and lovely to her he does nothing out of line but we don't see any indication that he is processing what happened right. when they were together. What happened to him. Yes. Right, yeah. exactly. And that because men aren't allowed to, you know, to have a reaction to being sexually assaulted, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think that our general societal feeling is if you're a man, you like it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter, you know, like consent with men is so often overlooked, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it's something that societally we really don't, we don't allow you to be both masculine and sexually traumatized, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's something that we're working, I think, slowly our way through now, you know, but at the time, the fact that this hot girl, you know, kind of demonic, sort of, you know, like that kind of, and the way that she was grinding on him and all that stuff, like he, his response wasn't you know, I don't, I don't want this. Or it was, I'll be taking advantage of yeah. you, you know, which of course at the, at the moment he thought it was Jenny. Yeah. So, I mean, that's definitely something I'm very attracted to you, but I don't, I don't be taking advantage. And also he's freaked out and he's thinking about other things. There's a demon that wants to kill him. Yeah. I think that the, he can be excused for not wanting to have oh, sex totally. at that particular moment. Well, and she was recently without... unconscious, which right. I mean, okay. You know, without demon possession. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Demon, demon or not. I mean, she was, she lost consciousness and that's, pretty fucking serious and don't give somebody a big glass of whiskey when they've been unconscious recently giles yeah. come on yeah give them a big glass of hospital <laughs> yeah. i think that that's no. what you need to do yeah yeah <laughs> but, but yeah no i think you're right and i think that's like that's the way like the patriarchy is not about man hating because it's it's bad for men too you know, yeah. like all of these ideas that we are prescribed, that this is the way that a man, quote unquote, mm-hmm. acts. And this is the way that a woman, quote unquote, acts. And these are the things, these are the burdens that you have to bear for your gender. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, and I think that like the only the only reason why it's acceptable for a man to not want to have sex is because um, the woman is compromised. She's drunk. She's you know, he's being a gentleman. Yeah. Right. You know, but obviously he wants to have sex with her. Um, and when she I mean, and she does assault him, you know, the demon Igon assaults mm-hmm. him you know, uh, kisses him, throws herself like all over him, mm-hmm. like, you know, and, and it does look like something that will turn into, you know, a very physical um, and, and, you know, and possibly like rape situation. Mm-hmm. But Buffy breaks in and, you know, and breaks up the party. Yeah. Right. So. Um, so, I mean, I think that like the fact that if that had happened to a woman, you know, role reverse that. Oh, yeah. You know, that it had been a woman being thrown around by a man who was forcing himself on her. We would have a much stronger reaction to that. Although I will say that we have no problem kind of erasing Buffy's trauma on a regular oh, yeah. basis. Um, we're going to do it a little bit later this season, as a matter of fact, and go fish. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that like the way in which we think about those things is very patriarchal, absolutely damaging to men, does not allow them their trauma or their experience experience and it's something that needs to be staked in the heart oh yeah 100 percent. so there you go 
Okay, moving from the patriarchy into our girl power moment of the week. I mean, I mean Willow Rosenberg, right? The winner and still champion. <laughs> Willow Rosenberg. champion. Willow. Although it bothers me that Willow says, they they burst into the magic shop and Willow says, trust me, this will work. And then in the next mm-hmm. scene, she says, I wasn't sure it was going to work. <laughs> I'm like, no, right. no, don't undermine Willow's awesomeness. She is fantastic. And confidence. She pulled that together. You know, she got Angel, right? Yes. You know, we didn't have Angel come in and say, well, you know, I'm a dead body. I'm a dead body. Uh, <laughs> like Willow figured it out. Willow fetched Angel. Willow put him on the job and s- told him what to do and where to stand and how not to block anybody's light. And he went in and got yep. it done. But I mean, because <laughs> she was the captain of that ship. And I love that whole interaction. Yep. yep. She is. She is wonderful. Willow as the the leader of the group is just delightful oh she's wonderful i love it every time that happens all right so tell me what is your favorite part giles and jenny forever give me that kiss in the hallway baby i love it i love it and i'm so (laughs) i love that i ship everything and the one thing that i don't (laughs) ship that hard you're like into it i'm like into it i'm like more and i'm so sad at the end but like they're like they clearly want to be together but there's so much darkness and trauma between them and they can't and it's pulling them apart and she has to go to class it's so oh god i know i love i love them and i think Honestly, if I'm honest, I think it's because I love Giles and I want Giles to have somebody. Jenny's, you know, Jenny's fine. Jenny has some good qualities. Jenny has not some good qualities. But Jenny gets better in every episode. I will say that. Like, I I didn't like her much in the beginning. She does gradually get better every episode. And then when I finally like her, of course, that's when Angel kills her. And that's it for Jenny. Yeah, then she dramatically gets worse real fast. (laughs) Like, it's like, (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, Giles and Jenny. Giles and Jenny. Yeah. All right. What about you? What's your favorite part? God. Giles's personal life. I love seeing his apartment. I love seeing him without his glasses. I love seeing unbuttoned, no tie on Giles. I love seeing shirt sleeves up Giles. I love seeing drunk on scotch Giles. I love last weekend Giles. I love Ripper Giles. Like all of it, all of it is delightful to me. And I love this That's it for today. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Noelle Aloud and use the hashtag StillPretty. You can also visit the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on forum and join in the fun. Or you can keep Chipperish Media going to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat and Discord where you can hang out with me and Noelle and all the Chipperish patrons who are the worst crowd that would have us. Visit patreon.com slash Chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support by giving Still Pretty a great review on Apple Podcasts or by posting about the show on social media or by going into a deep sleep while your friends summon a pansexual demon. Don't do that. Don't do that. That ends badly. (laughs) (laughs) we don't recommend it we'll be back next time with what's my line parts one and two the ninth and tenth episodes of season two until then if you two aren't with me 110 percent get the hell out of my library (laughs) 